Well, it's that time of, this time of year again. It's that most t- wonderful time of the year. And there's a lot to associate with this time of year. I'm going to talk about that weird video you just watched here in a sec. But there's a lot going on, both secular and sacred. I don't know if there's a time that's more thicker with both nostalgia and also anticipation. We have so many different traditions. We, we light candles. We uh, put up stockings. We have stories and foods and smells. And I love this time of year for, in every way. Jill and I put on the, our Nat King Cole uh, Christmas Pandora station like before Thanksgiving this year. We really look forward to this. When I was a kid, I remember uh, growing up in Modesto, in the parking lot of Long's Drugs, like in late November, they put up these really ugly, furry, tinsel Christmas bells like on their parking lot lights. And when I'd see those things as a kid, I would just get excited because I knew what time of year it was. Now, there's a lot in our culture that's really weird. This music video is supposed to be disorienting to you a little bit. A little bit creepy, a little Santa Claus just kind of looking at you there. But I think that's, that really epitomizes our culture well. We have these different stories, secular and sacred, that overlay each other. And I think the song by Sufjan Stevens really paints a picture of our confused and conflicted culture. We have baby Jesus in a manger, At the same time, we have songs like Santa Claus is coming to town as some sort of messianic figure for a consumer culture. But this morning, I'm not really interested in jumping into that cultural war about Christmas and and trying to kind of, you know, uh, somehow recover Christmas. I I think Christmas in our culture is a byproduct of our hearts. Um, How we celebrate Christmas, it's really just a snapshot of our longings, of, of what's inside. So we've got to be careful how we navigate this time of year uh, as a church, as a people. But I think we can leverage this sense of cultural expectation and anticipation to really stir our hearts toward uh, the expectation of a Messiah. The Messiah who has come and the Messiah who is coming again. All this stuff can be like alarm bells going off for us. Reminding us, that's what time it is. It's time to remember our Messiah. Um, The liturgical season of Advent, if I had to define it in one way, it'd be knowing what time it is. Um, By the way, it's not Christmas season yet. Uh, We tend to jump right over Christmas in our our kind of celebration. We we skip Advent and jump right into celebration. We kind of confuse the seasons. Uh, Advent is about expectation of the Messiah who has come and is coming again. And Christmas is about celebration of Jesus who came. And they kind of overlay each other. It's not like the liturgy police are going to come arrest you or something for confusing the seasons as we celebrate. Uh, But Advent's a really helpful time for us. Reminds us that we are people between the first and second coming of Christ. And this time awareness, this reality, should shape our lives as we follow Jesus. Our present lives are shaped by the past, the Messiah who came. And our lives are shaped as we look forward to the future at Jesus who will return again. So uh, our our lives are shaped by the past. As Jesus came, you know, God's election and rescue of Israel culminated in the coming of the Messiah, Jesus. We look back and we find ourselves in that story. Because of Jesus, because of his life, death, and resurrection, we can be included in God's family. We're dearly loved. We're accepted. We're rescued from slavery to sin. But even more, as we look back at the story, that that same story tells us to look forward. 
to when that Messiah will return again. When Jesus will come to judge the nations, to make all things new, to usher in the new heavens and the new earth, to do away with death, the final enemy. So that places us in the in-between time. That's what time it is. It's in between. We await the completion of God's redeeming work. And and we know that the light has dawned. There will be a day when when it's high noon and all the darkness is vanquished. So this morning we're going to spend some time looking back at the Jewish expectation of a Messiah. Specifically through the prophecy of Jeremiah. And we'll consider how this past, again, will, will shape our present and position us for the future. So we're going to go ahead and read from Jeremiah now. If you'd like to follow along with me, it's Jeremiah 33, verses 14 through 16. So Jeremiah 33, verses 14 through 16. I'll be reading from the NRSV. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. And this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we enter this season of Advent humbly, looking to you, looking for you to shape our lives and to guide them. So we pray this morning, um, as we read and meditate upon your word, that, that you would bless it, that you would find it acceptable and pleasing, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So Jeremiah 33, Jeremiah's prophecy. With all prophecy, we need to remember that it was given in a specific time to specific people. We need to be careful from just pulling a line or two from the Old Testament and plugging it in uh, without knowing the context. So we're going to spend some time looking at the context of Jeremiah and uh, looking at how that, that story, how the prophecy of Jeremiah shapes us again today. So Jeremiah lived in a time of incredible distress. Uh, Judah, uh, located, the kingdom of Judah, located in southern Israel, was under attack by the superpower of the day, the Babylonian Empire. I'm going to go ahead and put a map up just to help with the context a little bit more. Thanks, Eric. uh, So Babylon was to the east, the growing power, as you can kind of see here, their movement. And uh, it it was moving, they moved from... uh, from the east, went up north, conquered Assyria, and were kind of coming down from the north into Israel towards Judah. And they were really uh, kind of, uh, it, it was pretty, pretty clear the danger that was uh, all around Judah at the time. And uh, it, it looked like they were next in line. It was, it was all throughout Jeremiah, as you read the book, he foretells this power from the north uh, coming to uh, to conquer. And again, they're from the east, but the way they moved was from the north. That's why you get all the references to the north. Jeremiah called this in chapter 1 
uh, there was like this boiling pot being tilted over from the north. And Jeremiah warns over and over again that the reason for this tragedy to, to come was because Judah rejected Yahweh, and they were worshiping other gods. Jeremiah prophesies in uh, chapter 32, verses 32 through 35, if you can follow along there if you like, that um, this is Jeremiah speaking uh, for the Lord. They have turned their backs to me, not their faces. Though I have taught them persistently, they would not listen and accept correction. They set up their abominations in the house that bears my name and defiled it. So because of this repeated pattern of, of disobedience towards God, um, they were to be handed over to their enemies. So the God that once rescued Israel from captivity in Egypt is handing them over to captivity again. And what a difficult message to hear. But it's interesting, as you read Jeremiah, just as much foreboding there is in prophecy, there, there's always a promise of restoration. And there's a clear pattern of God's wrath and God's <coughs> restoration, as, as there often is in Scripture. Um, right after uh, the verses I just read in, in chapter uh, 32, verse 37, the Lord says, See, I'm going to gather them from all the lands to which I drove them in my anger, in my wrath, and in great indignation. I will bring them back to this place, and I will settle them in safety. They shall be my people, and I will be their God. So it's like punishment with a promise. Being disciplined for a new dream. And when we get to our, our passage for today, chapter 33, verses 14 through 16, we receive a little bit more insight on what this promised restoration is going to look like. And it's a little bit surprising. We learn that in those days, the Lord will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. And he will do what is just and right in the land. So Jeremiah foretells that from David's line will spring a righteous branch, which means a descendant from King David, and this king will arise to execute justice and righteousness in the land. The Lord tells us that through this king, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. Then the Hebrew is a little bit ambiguous, but uh, Jeremiah tells us uh, that either the king or the city, Jerusalem, would be called, the Lord is our righteousness. So this promised restoration, we've got to read this in contrast to what it looked like before the restoration. We learn that uh, throughout Jeremiah, uh, you know, as, we, as it becomes more and more apparent that God's going to give them over into captivity, that there was anything but righteousness and justice in the land. Their vertical relationships and horizontal relationships are off. Their, the relationship to God was, was wrong. They were worshiping other gods. And even their, their relationships to each other were marked with injustice. In 22.17, Jeremiah says, Your eyes and your heart are only on your dishonest gain for shedding innocent blood and for practicing oppression and violence. So because of these relationships that were marked by evil, um, the Lord was giving them into captivity. But the promised ruler that we read about, in contrast to the current situation, will, will bring about righteousness and justice in the land, uh, towards God and towards one another. And biblically, those things really you can't, you can't separate. If you're in right relationship with God, you're going to be in right relationship with others if you're in right relationships with others, it's the result because vertically you think with, uh, your relationship with God is right. So this rule that we're being about righteousness and justice. And, and notice that this is tied to salvation. 
Jeremiah says that Judah will be saved. Salvation is tied to righteousness and justice in the land. So not only will they not be captive to Babylon anymore, they will no longer be captive to sin in the way they were before uh, being given over to captivity. Do you notice as, as you look at this passage, salvation is tied to the king's rule and presence? Uh, when, when I was meditating on this passage, that really uh, struck me. It stuck out to me. You think that, you know, Israel got itself into this mess through disobedience. Um, it would be up to them to kind of, kind of get things right. And once they got things right, they would be able to kind of go back into the land and God would restore uh, the things he promised to them. But that's not how it works. It's the king's execution of justice and righteousness that brings salvation. Their salvation was tied to a king. It it wasn't up to them. It wasn't on their shoulders. It was the king who would do it. And we're going to come back to this theme. It's really important. So can you imagine being in the kingdom of Judah as Jeremiah uttered this prophecy? It's no wonder that Jeremiah was really disliked in his time. He had to tell people that, you know, you're going to be given over into captivity. I got bad news for you. It's be hard for the people to hear. That God's plan for you was to be taken away by pagan peoples. Of course, there was good news, too. It's kind of hard to hear that good news, right, when that bad news is staring you in the face. I, uh, it's, it's that classic, I got good news and bad news for you. I went to the dentist recently, I, well, a couple months ago. I had a really bad toothache. And uh, as they began to do their diagnostic thing, I knew it was bad when you kind of hear the ominous murmurs of the, of the dentist, right? You know it's really bad when they say, wow, <laughs> that's bad. And so I was burying myself for that bad news. Um, and it was. I, I had a really bad cavity that they're going to have to do some major drilling on, right? Not stuff you love to hear. So it was bad news, but in another way, that was, was actually really good news, too. Because that was the beginning of them being able to address the pain and actually complete healing uh, for my tooth. It was the beginning of my tooth's restoration. Now, I never looked forward to the discomfort of drilling, um, but it was bearable because I knew it was for my good. Pain and captivity for us, as it was for Israel, can be a good thing. And it's, I don't say that lightly. Pain and captivity can point us to the truth of our situation. And knowing the truth of our situation is the first step in healing. There's an unexpected gift in pain and captivity if we press into it. So as we, again, kind of look at this passage and understand its historical context... You might be asking, okay, so how was this prophecy fulfilled? Was it fulfilled? Well, uh, indeed, Israel, Judah, was taken off into captivity. And they were captive uh, in Babylon. Well, um, the captivity didn't last really that long. It lasted about a generation. Empires, like they always do, crumble and fall. And the Babylonian Empire uh, eventually fell to the Persian Empire, led by Cyrus the Great, In 538, King Cyrus uh, 
gave the Jews permission to return to Israel. And he actually um, even encouraged them to rebuild the temple that the Babylonians had raised to the ground. But uh, immediately following that captivity and the return to, to, to Judah and Jerusalem, there wasn't um, really, the, this prophecy didn't quite come true. I mean, there wasn't necessarily justice and righteousness in the land. And, and Israel was host to other empires who came and conquered and occupied. After the, uh, you know, after the Babylonians, it was the Persians, and then it was the Greeks. And up through Jesus' time, it was, it was the Romans. Israel um, wasn't free in, in the geopolitical sense that we might think. But of course, as we read this passage this time of year, we believe that Jesus was that promised and expected Messiah, that righteous branch of David who came to rule with justice and righteousness. In his rule, his kingdom was a surprising one. We've talked a lot about this. He didn't rule by the sort of brute power that Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon or Cyrus uh, ruled with, but he ruled with a more enduring power, the power of God, which was demonstrated by a king on a cross, by sacrificial love. That was the power of God. That was the righteousness and the rule of God uh, at work here. So the promise of the Lord, who is our righteousness in Jeremiah, I believe was demonstrated in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, who is our righteousness, our justice before God. If we read Romans 3.21 through 22, I think we can read it in part as fulfillment of this prophecy. I'll read it. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. The Lord who is our righteousness is available to us all here and now. So what do we do with this passage, this Jeremiah passage? Do we take it as just kind of a theological history lesson? Um, How do we find ourselves in this story? Well, first, I think we have to remember that this is our story. Because of this story, we can belong. Through Jesus Christ, we uh, are elected and that God's promised. We also need to remember that, like Judah, we're often under siege. Captivity is waiting at the door for us. We're prone to it in our horizontal relationships. That's horizontal. (laughs) And in our vertical ones, too. We're filled with longing. I went to the mall yesterday. Bad choice. (laughs) But if you want to see just a snapshot of our longings as a culture, go to the mall. Man. You see all these different hopes and dreams wrapped up this time of year. They get expressed in the commercials we see and the things we buy and the images that, that are painted out there that, that tell you this is, this is how your longing can be met or this is how your longing can be fulfilled. Sadly, forget the one who fulfills our longings, the one who came. And I think we remember, too, that you know, kind of like the, the Dennis analogy, when you're feeling that, that dull ache, you know, in your life, um, you can't drill your own teeth. At least I don't know of anybody that can drill their own teeth. You can't heal yourself. We need a righteous branch to correct us, to heal us, to move us towards righteousness and justice. 
So the good news is that the Messiah came and announced his kingdom. It is one that is above and beyond any human empire. And Jesus invites us all, still to this day, to enter into his kingdom. Jeremiah writes about in those days. We're in those days. It's here and now. That's what time it is. Advent reminds us that Jesus Christ the Messiah has come to deliver us out of bondage. We have access to relationship to God. We have access to relationship to God through Jesus Christ. That's our message. And this is wonderful news. The coming of Jesus Christ gives us freedom from captivity here and now. The hymn goes, he, broke, he breaks the power of canceled sin. He cancels our sin and he breaks his power uh, of it in our lives. He's our righteousness. And as much as we look toward the Messiah who came and opens his kingdom us, to us, we also, as we look back, begin to look forward too. This Messiah who came is coming again. And that's where our hope is. We can, as Jesus tells us, uh, as was read in the Luke passage this morning, to stand up and raise our heads because our redemption is drawing near. It's closer now than it was yesterday. Jesus Christ has come and is coming. So we remember our freedom and we look forward to our freedom. And as we try to let this sink into our hearts and our minds, Jesus himself gave us the best way to both remember and to look forward. And we turn to that now in the meal that he provided for us. So let's silent our hearts before God as we prepare for the supper.